excited this morning because we're going in-house this morning. All right, we got uh, Brother Josiah. He is a deacon at our church. Um, he is also one of the uh, teachers of our connection groups. And so I know we are starting a new connection group starting tonight for the whole summer. So Josiah is going to knock it out of the park this morning to get you really excited to go to his class. Hopefully it don't take too long. So. Right. <laughs> brother Josiah, it's good to have you, brother. Come on. Thank you, thank you. All right, it is an honor to be here today, and yeah, just a shameless plug for my class. We're going to be going over apologetics, and so uh, you're interested in that. We'll be doing, starting that tonight, uh, going over a real awesome series called Road Trip to Truth, and so if you're interested in that, the sign-up is outside. We will be here at five o'clock, and we will try to start on time, keyword try. Uh, But anyway, so um, praise God, just real quick, I wanted to say this. Praise God just for the worship team and um, I'd be lying if I didn't say that it was a little bit hard to get through that song. My singing was definitely a little bit lower because uh, just uh, thinking about what our king did for us and that sacrifice that he made. And uh, I can I guarantee you that Jeremy and Brother Noem and those would feel the same way about this. But praise God that before uh, a message is given out, we get to be amongst a congregation of indiv- individuals that are singing out. And just the way that it prepares the heart and gets everything ready is just absolutely amazing. And so I, I praise God for that. Um, and uh, I will try to make sure that we get out at a reasonable time. I am a high school teacher, so I set all my lessons to be done within a certain period of time. So we'll see how this goes. Although even in my classes, sometimes I get a little bit of sidetracked. But we'll try and keep that from happening. So before we get started, we're going to go ahead and uh, have a word of prayer here real quick. And then we will hop right into what uh, the Lord has laid upon my heart here today. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, I thank you for this opportunity that you have given me to be here uh, in this house, Lord. And God, this honor that you've allowed for me to have, Lord, I pray that as I'm here sharing what you've laid upon my heart, Lord, that if there's anything that you have for me to say, that I say it, Lord. But if there's anything that you would have me hold back, Lord, that you hold my tongue. I pray that this message will be totally honoring and glorifying to you, Lord. And that at the end of the day, it's not me up here in a podium, Lord, but it's your word that's been preached here. And God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this opportunity. And I pray that the hearts and minds of these individuals here, Lord, will be ready to receive this. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. So um, this message that I prepared today has been something that I have really had on my heart for quite a long time. Um, to use a, an idiom in the English language, I have skin in the game when it comes to this here. Um, my parenting journey is quite literally in its infancy. I have a three-year-old and I have an eight-month-old. They are small, but increasingly I am looking at the world around them that they are going to be growing up in. And I, as a parent, am realizing that this world that they are going to be growing up in is extremely hostile to them. Not to necessarily them as individuals, because let's be honest, our country is real big about individualism, about you as a person. But what this country is extremely hostile to at this moment is Christianity, what my children are going to one day be hopefully walking in. And as a parent, that does scare me, because I know what children look like that have not been trained properly. I'm a high school teacher. I teach primarily seniors. I'm teaching kids that legally are becoming adults and being sent out into the world. And they're not ready. And I'm not just talking about from a spiritual standpoint. Our our society has done a really good job of just throwing that out the window. I'm just talking about a basic 
standpoint of being a good model citizen, as the world would like to call it. These kids have no idea what they're doing. They act as if they're the only person in a room. They've got no idea what's going on in society around them. And the proof and evidence that they give you for what they believe in is at best paper thin. I saw it on a video. I saw a post on Facebook. This must be true. They don't know what truth is. They really don't know what is going on out there in the world. And so this message here, I've titled The Great Commission at Home. The Great Commission at Home. Now our text that we're going to be looking at here is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, but don't you worry. There's plenty of scripture we're going to be looking at. Now, I'm going to forewarn you here. This message is out of the ESV. I put the verses up on the PowerPoint just in case, okay? So they're there. You can follow along still, but we're going to be doing a lot of hopping around. Uh, This message is definitely going to be a 30,000-foot view look at this topic. Each and every one of these passages, truth be told, can be a message in and of itself. But I really just want to go through the entirety of the Bible just to be able to bring this argument to you about how important this topic is. Just to show you that this is not just something that showed up in a single passage, but if you really look at it throughout all of human history, this particular topic has been seen as extremely important. Now, before we get into our verse for the day, I want to go over a a couple of uh, headlines that I was uh, picking apart and looking through. Now, these headlines have been over the years. I've been collecting some of these. Some of them are new. The first one that we have here, this is from Pew Research, okay? And and this is a headline here that is pretty recent back in uh, December of this past year. It says about three in 10 U.S. adults are non-religiously unaffiliated. This means that 30% of the people in the United States say that they don't believe in any type of religion. Now, truth be told, if you're a numbers guy, like I am, I like statistics. Okay, 3 in 10, 30%, hey, at least we have the other 70%, right? Well, hold on. The other 70% in this country are what are labeled as Christian individuals. Now, here's the thing. Christian individuals in this research are Catholics, Protestants, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay, so let's whittle it down to more or less where we fall into line, the Protestants. It's about 40% of the country claims to be Protestants. Now, here's the issue with that. With the Protestants, they're including Presbyterians. They're including Methodists, Baptists. And if we've been looking in the news lately, we all know that not all churches are created equal. Not all denominations are created equal. And even Baptist denominations right now are having their problems. And so what we start to find is that when you're really trying to get a grasp of how many individuals here are what we would consider biblical Christians, that number starts to shrink and get smaller and smaller and smaller, and it becomes very hard to figure out exactly what that number is. Not only that, but in this particular research, they were asking people, well, what, uh, how many people attend church regularly? Now, according to this research, what regular church attendance is, is twice a month. That's regular church attendance. So of the percentages that they were getting in this research, what they considered to be a faithful Christian individual is if you went to church twice a month. They also asked if you thought prayer was important. And of course, everybody says, yeah, prayer was important. But they never asked, well, how often are you in the scriptures? How often do you pray? Okay, what other activities do you do within the church? They didn't ask any of that. It was just, did you, a church, uh, did you attend church at least twice a month? That was it. And so when you look at that headline, you start to think, wow. So what we're really looking at is that we have 30% that say they have no religion and the other 70% who knows how much of that is just confused. They don't know really what they're doing. They say they claim it, but do they actually live it? 
I have another headline here. This one was uh, a doozy to find. Study finds 37% of pastors have biblical worldview. Spiritual awakening is needed in our pulpits. So this one here is saying that only 37% of pastors who every Sunday stand before a pulpit have a biblical worldview. So let's flip it around the other way. It means that almost over 60% of pastors that stand in one of these pulpits on a Sunday morning and are preaching the word of God don't even have a biblical world view. And the way that they were looking and asking and questioning this was, okay, when it comes to the Bible, do you believe it is the one and only authority? And a lot of these individuals that they were asking, they saw the Bible as a good roadmap, but not as the ultimate authority. They were adding things in. They were mixing things in, and it, it, you see it a lot in what's known as a seeker-sensitive movement. It's all about how you feel as a person. How can we make Christianity inviting to you so that you want to be in our church? They were putting the cart before the horse. Another headline. Uh, this is one from 2019. Most teenagers drop out of church when they become young adults. And the question they asked, did you stop attending church regularly twice a month or more for at least a year between the ages of 18 and 22? Now, these particular statistics, you can't really see the bars too well, but in 2007, 70% of young people said yes, that they left the church for at least a year. 30% said no. Now, in 2017, it went down a little bit. We went from 70 to 66. So we had less young people leaving the church, but statistically speaking, it wasn't that significant of a drop. You're still talking about two-thirds. So if you have a youth group of 30 kids, 20 of them are going to leave, and some of them never come back. Some of them never come back. I look at these headlines, and I see a big problem. And I'm sure you do too at this point. The issue is that I think that a lot of people are trying to take care of the symptom, but not of the disease. They're looking at the symptom and thinking, okay, well, let's remedy the symptom, but they're not taking care of the disease. And that's where I want to get into, into our passage here. This is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. I've emphasized in this verse here something. It's the word shall. We talk a lot about in the Bible that there are certain commands, the shalls and the thou shalt nots. The shalls are the things that, hey, you have to do. The thou shalt not are the things that you should not be doing. And then we have the area in the middle that kind of falls into preferences. But that's not the focus. The focus right now is to look at this verse and look at the number of times the word shall shows up. This is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. At this point, the children of Israel had come out of Egypt. They disobeyed and pleased God. They sent spies into the land of Canaan. They got scared. You have Joshua and Caleb saying, hey, let's take the land. They didn't want to go in. And so God said, okay, because of your disobedience, you are not going to enter into the land. Your children are going to inherit it. You're going to pass away, and then your children are going to go into there. So we pick up in the book of Deuteronomy where that first generation has passed away. They're gone, out of the picture. So we have the second giving of the law. This is a new generation that's getting ready to go in and to conquer the land of Canaan. We have the book of Joshua where they have this, these great military victories by the power of God. And so this book of Deuteronomy is talking to this next generation and say, hey, don't be like your parents. Your parents disobeyed and they missed out on the blessing that I had for them. Your parents disobeyed and they did not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Even Moses didn't make his way into there. So God is saying, listen now to what I am going to tell you. 
Because this is going to be what actually allows for this nation of Israel to continue on. Obviously, we know that the power of God is what has allowed Israel to go on through the ages. But have you ever thought of it this way? God really doesn't need us. He's given us the honor to do things in his name. God doesn't need for us to be spreading the message around the world of the gospel. He's chosen that we will do that. When it comes to children, God doesn't need for us to take care of those kids. If he wanted to, he could take care of them and raise them up in the way he wanted to see fit. But he's given us the honor to do that. He's given us the privilege to be able to do that. So let's look at this verse, these verses here, starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontals between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. There's so many of them in there, I even missed one, underlining and bolded there. So reading this passage, when I see that many shalls in there, for me as a parent, that means that this is important. But guess what? This is not just for current parents. It's for grandparents. This is for individuals who are going to be future parents. This is something that if you don't start planning for now, it's not going to happen when the kids come along. Trust me. Trust me. You get those little children, and the only thing on your mind is, I need to survive. If they're breathing, if they wake up in the morning, I did my job. That's what I did. If I'm breathing and I make it into the morning, that's a bonus on the side, even better. That is what a lot of our focus is going to be on. So if you don't have the discipline now to do that, you're going to be running into some issues. And again, I say this for grandparents too. I stand here before you as a fourth generation Christian. My great-grandmother came to know the Lord. Then my grandma came to know the Lord. My grandpa came along after her. Then from there, my dad, my mom, and then me. And now I have my children in the nursery over here, in Sunday school classes. That doesn't just happen because my parents made decisions. That was because my grandparents were there as well, praying for me every single day, suggesting just because you kick the kids out the door and they have to worry about their own problems, that you can just sit down and say, okay, I'm done. I did my job. No, no, no. This is for you too. You have grandkids. If you have grandkids, you still have skin in the game as well. Because guess what? The way I like to see it is that if you want to know that you've succeeded in this life, you're going to see your grandchildren serving in the church. Because that means that you passed on the training necessary to your kids that they needed. And they pass that on to the next generation. That is how Christianity continues to go. By the power of God, he has chosen imperfect people to continue on Christianity. It's amazing to think about the God of the universe is using imperfect individuals to do this. My question is, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, prospective parents, are you doing what God has put you in responsibility of? That's the big question. Are you doing your part? Because here's the thing. We have examples in the Bible of this going wrong. So we know that it can go wrong. And at the end of the day, the sins of the father 
The Father is going to answer for those. The sins of the Son, the Son will answer for those, as the Bible says. But one day we're going to stand before God, and he's going to ask us, what did you do with what I gave you in this life? And part of that is going to be the family. As a father, one day I'm going to stand before God, and he's going to ask me, what did you do with your wife? Did you push her towards growing in me? What did you do with your children? Did you raise them and train them up? And so I'm looking at the future and saying, you know what? In this life, because I love my children so much, I want to do everything that I can for them to train them up. And thank God that the material that we are using is infallible, the scriptures. But you have to use the scriptures. And again, the building up of this argument is looking at the scriptures and showing you how throughout the entirety of the Bible, this concept of home education I'm talking about homeschooling, but the education of doctrine at the home is hit on time and time again. So when we look at the society, we see there's a problem. The world we live in is becoming increasingly secular and more rebellious against God. This problem is beginning to make its way into the churches as well, and we can see that. Churches are closing and shrinking. Young people are leaving and some never return. Our pulpits are being increasingly filled by men who have a warped view of Scripture, and it's tempting to look at the culture and assume that by changing the culture, that revival can come to the country. If only we had the right people in power and make the right policies, well, then we can see change. Or maybe if we had more good pastors and more Christian education, then things would be better in this country. If only we could take back the public schools, put prayer back into the public schools, and yeah, things are going to get better. Now, although all these things are good, and make the argument that that is not the front line of this battle. That's not the front line of this battle. I'd argue that in order to bring true revival to this country, we need to start at the home. We need to start at the home. If it doesn't happen at the home, it's not going to happen anywhere else. We need to understand that the culture is attempting to do to our, what the culture is attempting to do to our families. What responsibility God has given us regarding those families and what we need to do to prepare ourselves to fulfill the command that God has given us. So, first, I want to look at our culture and understanding that culture. The first thing we have to realize is that our culture is a confused culture. Romans 1, 18 through 19 says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteous men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can, what can, known, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Our society actively suppresses the truth. They do everything they can in their power to make sure that it's their way above all else. Our culture preaches a message of ambiguity. They claim there is no way for us to know truth, and in doing so, they openly suppress the truth that God has revealed to them. If you look further in this passage, it says that creation is that showing that there is a God. And you talk to people on the street, and you say, that tree over there, do you think it happened by random chance? And a lot of them are going to look at you and say, well, no, I don't think so. What, what happened? Well, I don't know. Maybe evolution, um, maybe aliens. They don't know what to answer. But they're openly suppressing the truth. They know that there's something more, but they, in their hearts, are denying that. An example of this, our world claims that only science can give us the answer to what reality is. I'm a science teacher at the high school. I hear this all the time. But this is the fun part. When science adheres to scripture and speaks of there being only two genders, uh-oh, the culture changes. And now all of a sudden, science cannot be trusted anymore. Maybe science isn't the answer after all. Maybe it's something else. And you see people that are spiritual 
and what they do, but the spirituality they're talking about is nothing more than ghost stories and fairy tales. It's basically what it amounts to. So we live in a confused culture. We also live in a self-serving culture. Also in that first chapter of Romans, and something to note here. Read Romans chapter 1. And you'll hear a lot of people talking about us being in a Romans 1 society. This is what they're talking about. This is what they're talking about here. We live in a self-serving culture. Therefore, God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. It's Romans 1, 24 through 25. They worship the creature. It's all about me. It's all about my truth. We can be on good terms as long as you believe your truth and I believe my truth. Every single day that I go into the classroom with those students, that's all that it ever is. Well, you can believe that way, but I believe this way. And as long as we're okay with that, then we're good. But God forbid that you disagree with them. You're a bigot. They're going to just start throwing things out at you, just out of the air. And when you're really asking for an argument, well, why do you believe that that's the way it is? Why do you think that it's actually wrong to murder someone? Well, just because. Just because. Or because, oh, well, that's what most people think that it's wrong. And it's okay, well, if most people think that it's right, like Nazi Germany did, is it right? Well, maybe. Self-serving. It's all about me. As long as it doesn't hurt me and as long as it doesn't hurt you, you should be okay with it. That's what it's all about. The culture demands that we do what is right in our own eyes and respects others' choices apart from any code of biblical morality. They either claim that there is no moral code or they try to invent one and they claim that it's separate from any religious affiliation. The culture openly rejects God and considers the Bible to just be another outdated text with an obsolete worldview. Just a bunch of religious nuts is what they say. And unfortunately, sometimes... We act that way because when it really comes down to it and they're looking at us and they're seeing how we live, they're like, this guy's insane. He's telling me that I got to surrender my life to Jesus, but look at how he's living. Look at what he's doing at work. Look at what he's posting up on social media and doing over on the weekends. And guess what? Your kids are doing the same thing. Your kids are doing the exact same thing. Look at the way he acts on Sundays and what he does at home how he treats us, how mom treats us, how my grandparents treat us. Because trust me, there are some grandparents out there that are pretty nasty too. Trust, I've had students that have given me stories about that and it's sad to hear. Even extended family members too, just as vile against these kids. And you just see them being torn apart. Breaks my heart. But I have to work with those kids on a daily basis. And then finally, when looking at the culture, we have to understand we also have a corrupting culture. This culture is not just staying outside of the churches. It's not staying outside of the homes. It's seeping in. Why are so many young people leaving the churches? Why are there so few pastors that hold to a biblical worldview? Why are there so many people in the United States of America that are becoming individuals that say, I don't believe in any religion at all? Well, that's because the culture is making its way into the homes. This nation that we have here is dying from the inside out, starting at the families. We're going to look at two verses here. First Peter 5.8 says, be sober-minded. In other words, wake up. 
Be awake. Be looking around. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking somewhere to devour. Now, if a lion is hungry, he sees a gazelle sitting over there. Is he going to go to the gazelle, look at the gazelle, and realize, oh, this gazelle has kids? I can't eat this thing. It's got to raise up these little babies and everything. Oh, you had a tough time. Oh, it's okay. I'll move on to the next per- person. No. No, in fact, what we know that predators do in the animal kingdom is they prey upon the weak, the old, and the young, especially the young, because they can't get away as fast. They don't know as much. So when the devil's going around, where do you think the attack is going to happen? Where do you think the attack is going to happen? He, he, he knows if you're a believer, if you're a child of God, he can't take you into hell. You're sealed into the day of redemption. But he's looking at your kids and he's like, hey, look at that. I might not be able to take them, but I can cut the tree at the root. I can cut that tree and make sure that those teachings don't get passed on to the next generation. He's eyeballing that. That's what he wants. Let's look at 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3. But false prophets also arose among the people just there, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensualities, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Now, this is talking about the church. But bear in mind, that first century church was a very different church to what we have today. These were families, sometimes meeting in homes together. And it wasn't just mom and dad that were listening to the word. It was children listening as well. And you have these individuals that are rising up amongst the congregations and leading people astray, including the children. And the devastating thing is that, yes, mom and dad, you might have the biblical knowledge to be able to defend that. But do your kids have that? Do your children have that? That is where, when you look at this great commission that we'll be seeing here in a little bit, we have to remember the home. We can't neglect the home. You do that, you end up with adults that have no idea what they're doing. I have seniors that cannot read and write properly. I have seniors that don't know basic manners. They lie to me in my face, and I know that they're lying. I know that they're lying because I saw them cheating off of someone. I saw them going to their car to do who knows what when they said, hey, I need to go to the bathroom. I see that happening, and they don't even bat an eyelash. They could care less. Just so lost, so depraved. The culture of this world can, can and will make its way into our homes if we're not careful. We need to be vigilant as parents and be ready to defend our families and our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because remember, mom and dad, those kids don't belong to you. They're God's kids. And one day, they are going to be your brother and sister in Christ. Hopefully in eternity. Hopefully in eternity they will. They do not belong to you. When we do the baby dedications here, I hope that we don't just look at that as like, oh, well, this is just a formality that we do because if you don't dedicate your baby, then, hey, brother, your kid's two years old and you haven't brought him up to the stage to get dedicated. No, no, no. That baby dedication is more than just that. That baby dedication is us as parents saying, God, this child belongs to you. 
wherever you want to take this child, you take them. However long you have them to be on this earth, let it be. I am just given the honor to take care of them, to raise them up for as long as you have me here, for as long as you have me there. Those children one day are going to be our brothers and sisters in Christ. Hopefully, in eternity, they will. But what are we doing to ensure that that can happen? Now, we need to be aware that Satan is constantly looking to deceive and cause damage to the body of Christ. Paul addressed this in some of his letters, letters to Rome, Corinth, and Galatia, the, the series that we're going over with Brother Jeremy here. These individuals who are spreading other gospels. The secular, the, the secular culture has plenty of contrary gospels to preach. You have this revolution of ambiguity. We don't know truth. You have the sexual revolution that there's so many genders that exist out there. It's insane. And it's only getting worse. It's only getting more confusing. Now, the culture claims to be on neutral ground. They say, no, no, no. We're, we're just trying to make neutral individuals. We don't want any religion or anything out of it. But guess what? There's no such thing. Christ says you're either for me or you're against me. You're either following the word of God or you're following the word of man. You're either preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ or preaching the gospel of secular humanism. It's all about me. I am the individual. I am God. I am the greatest. And when I die, it's all over. That's the gospel being preached to our children every single day, knowingly and subtly too. Be careful with what your children watch as well. Because some of these companies that exist out there, like Disney included, have been very open about the fact that, hey, we want to try and indoctrinate kids as much as we can to love themselves, to be who they want to be, to rebel many times too. Be careful. Now, we've looked at the culture, and hopefully now this has been a call to you to let you know that things are not great. On Sunday mornings, praise God that we're in a Bible-preaching, Bible-believing church. Things are awesome here on Sunday mornings. But guess what? When your kids go out into the world, the rest of the week, this is what they're running into. This is what they're running into. And if I could be so bold to say, not just in the public schools. This happens in Christian schools too. This happens in Christian schools too. I graduated from a Christian high school. There's a couple of individuals who have as well. We know names of people who are no longer in the church doing whatever they want to do. We know individuals that have gone their own way and astray. They were in church sitting next to us on Sundays. They were in school throughout the entire week. Graduation happened and boop, gone. Not here anymore. So don't think it's just public schools. Keep that in mind. So now we understand the culture that we live in but what is it that we are to do? What have we been commanded to do? And so this next portion we're going to be looking at here is looking at the Great Commission. Understanding our commission. Now, the Great Commission that was given to us is in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And it has here, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." We have been given this great commission to go out into the world, make disciples, teach them. Now, as a teacher, this is by no means any type of slight against your intelligence. But as a teacher, whenever I go before any individual, I assume they know nothing. Because my high school students quite literally know nothing. I got to start from the ground up. So when I am bringing this to you and I talk about teach 
them to observe all that I have commanded you, you right now probably in your head are listing a number of things. Okay, well, this is what Jesus said. This is what he did. All these things right here. We're going to slow down right there. We're going to cut it down to the basics. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. It says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, we've read this before in Deuteronomy. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now listen to these words. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Praise God that we had a king and a master that understood how easily we could be overwhelmed. Because when he quoted from Deuteronomy, he knew, especially to the Jewish people, that when he gave these two commandments, it wasn't just those two commandments they were going to be thinking about. They had a laundry list of commandments that in their head, hey, we're following to be a good Jew. But at the very end, he says, slow down. These are the two important ones. If you do these two, everything else is going to fall into place. These are the two you have to focus on. First and foremost, love God with everything. Give him your all. Surrender all to him. From that commandment, then, we have the ability to biblically love others around us. Not just other Christians, but the world, too. We get that heart where we're able to give them the ugly truth in love, to be able to spread that gospel message to them. But we can only do that if we have a right heart with God first. It was amazing. We are to teach others to love God with all their heart and to love those around them in a biblical manner. Now, good Bible preaching churches, I have to make the emphasis on good Bible preaching because guess what? There's a lot of churches that are not good or Bible preaching. Good Bible preaching churches and Bible teaching academic institutions are a great resource for teaching to take place. Preachings, youth groups, Sunday school classes, and Christ-centered education can fight back against the culture and protect the hearts and minds of our children. However, when we look at evangelism, most of the time, we focus on spreading the gospel throughout the world. We tend to neglect the evangelism that's supposed to occur within the home. And that's where we get into our next point here, which I call the Homestead Commission. The Homestead Commission. Three passages here to look at. The Deuteronomy passage, we've read that one already. So again, all the shalls of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and with all of your uh, uh, might. Teach this to your children. Make sure it's on your doorpost. Let's now look at Joshua 4, 21 through 24. Now at this point, the children of Israel, this new generation that got this command back in Deuteronomy, they've crossed over the Jordan River. The second time that a body of water was parted. A lot of people don't know about that. But not only was the Red Sea parted, but the Jordan River was parted as well. And so Joshua commands these individuals here to set up what were known as memorial stones, these 12 stones. And these 12 stones are supposed to be a reminder to the children of Israel of what God did to them. And it says here, and he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. And the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. As the Lord your God did to the Red Sea when he dried up for us until we passed over. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. That you may fear the Lord your God forever. 
teach your children. Teach your children. Pass it on to the next generation. Let them know what God has done for you. How often does God come up in conversation to your kids? How often do you sit around the dinner table and ask, hey, what's God been teaching you? Or you know what? I, I still remember these conversations with my dad going through a hard financial time. My dad would tell me, you know what? We need to pray together as a family because we don't know how we're going to make it this month. Okay, so we pray. Now, I didn't know everything going on. But what I did know was that one, our family was having a difficult time. And two, we were praying about it. And guess what? Inevitably, when it would happen, not if, because by God's grace and mercy, it would happen. When, by some means, my dad had a second job. He would get paid for a job. Somebody would give him money just out of the blue. Something would happen and we had the finances to make it. He would let us know. That left an impact on me. That left an impact on me because I knew that God is working in my family then so that when I have a future family, if I do the same thing, God will be working then too. That was a lesson my dad taught me. Pray, trust in God, surrender over to him and he will guide you. I look at my grandparents. I see the same thing. I look at my great-grandma. I see the same thing. You've got no idea what type of impact you will have on your children, your grandchildren, future children, future grandchildren. Not now. You won't understand that. But the Bible is very clear that, hey, guess what? If you are faithful in doing this, there are some promises and positive consequences that come from that. And, and the final verse I wanted to look at here at this point, just to bring the New Testament into this as well, Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Mothers too, okay? Not, let's, not, let's not say that that's not the case right there. Moms also have to be ready to go also, okay? Um, one of the things that I've been very encouraged to see, and it's, I'll mention it more later on, but there are companies out there that are really fighting to have women that are strong in theology too. I think that's awesome. That needs to happen because guess what? Mothers are really good at giving things to children in love. <laughs> and dads, on the other hand, we tend to be a little more, you know, stubborn when it comes to that. I'll just put it that way. But moms do a really good job of doing that. And can you imagine that mothers in this country, strong in theology, that love that they have, just that tender Christ-like love that they have for those kids and being able to teach that to the children, especially for stay-at-home moms. If you're a stay-at-home mom and you're able to do that, I mean, I think that's great. That is awesome. That's something we need more of. But we need to be bringing up in the instruction of the Lord. So again, Bible preaching churches and Christian education institutions, those are important. They're great resources. However, the Bible makes a strong argument that they are resources. They're not substitutes. We like to use them as substitutes. Oh, if my son goes to church, we're good. If he serves, we're going to be good. If he goes to youth group, it's great. If I send him to a Christian school, Christian college, he's going to be great. We need to be careful with that. Because the Bible, when you look at the Bible, the church that we have today, the, the, the church that we have built in the first century, existed in the first century. There were thousands of years of history before that where the church did not exist in the way that we know it. Was the responsibility given to the priests and the rabbis? No, they had their own responsibilities they had to worry about. It was given to the parents. Christian institutions, again, we have Christian schools, colleges, that's great. They were not established in the Bible. 
That responsibility was given to mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, aunts and uncles, older individuals. They were to be looked to for that Christian wisdom, for the passing on of that doctrine. And I think all too often we try and use those as substitutes. And we have to be very careful because what can we end up doing? The child is going to grow up thinking, if I go to church, I'll be a good Christian. It makes mom and dad happy. If I go to youth group, it's going to make mom and dad happy. If I serve in the church, it's going to make mom and dad happy. That's works-based righteousness. They don't serve in the church in order to get God's attention, to get mom and dad's approval. They are supposed to serve because of the love that God has given them. Again, the cart before the horse. The heart has to be changed before the service can happen. Because if not, they get a warped view of what is Christianity. And that's why they leave the church. That's why they leave the church. Because then they start to realize that things don't add up. And they take off. So now looking at this commission, there are some consequences to it. Both positive and negative. I'm just going to go through these verses here very quickly. Positive consequences we see in Proverbs 22 and Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's a peace right there. A peace that passes all understanding of knowing. If I train my children in the ways of the Lord, bring them up in instruction, when they're older, they're going to keep on going. And when I... And at the end of my life, I can look back with contentment and happiness, knowing that, hey, you know what? I did what God put me here to do. I did what God put me here to do, and I've succeeded. I've succeeded. I, I've done the job that I needed to do here. And then the other one we have here is Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. I'm going to do this a little bit different. Let me read it. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. That's a verse about children, right? Flip it around. Parents, do you want your children to be blessed and to have a good long life? If so, there's a commandment that has a promise that has been given to us. Teach that commandment for children to obey their parents and the Lord. Because it is pleasing to God to honor their father and mother. You flip that right around and now the responsibility is on you. Are you teaching your children how to honor their father and mother? Are you teaching them why it's important? Because I said so. No. Because it's pleasing to God. There's a promise there that if you honor your father and your mother, and this was a promise given to the children of Israel, but by the grace of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit, Paul has written this in Ephesians as well. And keep in mind, Paul was a missionary to the Gentiles too. He's letting them know, guess what? This promises that God has for the Jews, they're for you too now. They're there for you. It doesn't say that life is going to be full of sunshine and rainbows, but we, we can know is that if we follow this commandment, we're going to live a life that is pleasing and acceptable to God, that's honoring to God. And that is what we want to teach. That is what we want to pass on. Now, at the same time, there are negative consequences, too, for inaction in this. Go to the book of Judges 2, 10 through 12, and it says, And all the generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. 
And this last sentence, and they provoke the Lord to anger. I don't think anybody here would ever say that I want my children or my grandchildren to provoke the Lord to anger. I would venture to say that there's not a single person in the world that would ever say, oh yeah, I would love to provoke the Lord's anger on my kids. Are we keeping up with our responsibility to make sure that that doesn't happen? The generation passed, and obviously there was not teaching that was there because the next generation came up and they did not know the Lord and everything he had done. We look at James chapter 4, verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Mom and dad, if I could go as far as to say this, if you're not teaching your children at home sound biblical doctrine, it's called a sin by omission. A sin by omission. Because in Deuteronomy, if I'm reading that correctly, and Jesus then quotes this later on, this is a command that we're given to be teaching our children. And, and, and if you look at the culture around us, we see the effects of the lack of that teaching happening. So if you want that much evidence, look at the culture around us. When the teaching is not happening, look what happens to the culture. We, by shrugging off our responsibilities and not bringing up our children in the instruction of the Lord, as he has commanded us to do, is sin. Not only are we sinning, but we can become a stumbling block to our kids. My parents used to work with a youth group at a church uh, that, that I had. All right, there we go. And um, they had so many heartbreaking stories of these individuals that were leaving the faith. Their parents were serving in the church. These were individuals that they would take out to retreat, and they were leaving en masse. And they would look at these people, and just with such heartbreak, they would say, you know what? We don't know what went wrong. We were there with them. We loved them. We cared for them. We taught them from the Bible, and they still left. It's because it wasn't their fault. It wasn't the church's problem. It's not the Christian school's problem. It was the family's problem. There, there was something there that wasn't being passed on. And so, mom, dad, grandma, and grandpa, what are you all doing to prepare for that commission? This is the final point that I have for us, preparing for our commission, and this is going to be some rapid-fire verses that we're going to go through here and i'm going to read this a little bit different okay so these are some verses here some of them are from what are known as the romans road but the first thing that i want for us to understand is that in order for us to teach our children effectively the first thing that we have to make sure that we know is the gospel message when was the last time you thought about the gospel see we do a really good job of talking about the gospel when it comes to salvation and then it just disappears You know that the gospel message is not just about salvation. It's the very thing that we're supposed to be thinking on and living on after we get saved. It carries through. It doesn't just stop there. And so when it comes to the gospel message, we have to understand there's two components to it. There's bad news 
And then there's the good news. Because guess what? If you give somebody the good news, especially here in the States, and they look at their life and say, I don't know what you're talking about. Things are going pretty good for me. Got a successful job. I'm doing what I want. Why do I need some guy that was hanging on a tree to die for me? I got a good here. We have to understand that in order for the gospel to make sense, we have to present the gospel to them in its totality. And this includes to our kids as well. So I'm going to do something here. I have five verses. Okay, again, some from the Romans road. And I'm going to read them all down the line like a narrative, stringing them together. Starting with Romans 3.11. So if you want to present the gospel to somebody, especially to your children, hey, little guy, buddy, as I call my kids, let me tell you something. Did you know that there is none righteous? No, not one. No one understands and no one seeks for God. Again, Romans 3, 19 through 20. And now, because of that, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. And we're under the law, the Ten Commandments. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no man being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And we know that for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. And because of that, we know that all of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short, short of the glory of God. And did you know that the wages of sin is death? Have you ever had the opportunity to share the gospel with your kids? Talk about the gospel with them and say, hey, you know what? Have you ever thought about how amazing it is? This was everything working against us. We were totally depraved. We are sinners. The punishment for that sin is death. And because God is a holy God, he can't be in the presence of unrighteousness. He can't be in the presence of that. So he had to create a place called hell. At this point, people are like, ah, I don't want to talk about that. Well, guess what? Too bad. It's the reality. There's a heaven and there's a hell. Now, obviously, you want to do this in love. I'm preaching to the choir here, so that's why I'm being a little more tough with that right there. But you want to do this in love of letting them know that because of your sin and because God is holy, the punishment, the payment, the wages for your sin is death. It's hell. That's where you're going because you sinned against the holy God. You sinned against the creator of all things, just like I did. You have sinned. So now you've given them the bad news. Now you can share with them the gospel, the good news. Now at this point, that child hopefully understands I'm a sinner. Just like daddy was, just like mommy was. I'm in need of a savior. Well, how can I do that? Well, awesome. I'm glad you asked. Because now we have the good news of the gospel in the exact same way. I'm going to read through these and string them together. Romans 6.23, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How beautiful is that? And guess what? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. But do not forget this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. Child, you cannot earn this. Going to church is not going to get you to heaven. Serving in the church will not get you to heaven. It's a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one can boast. 
if you ever want to share the gospel with somebody, use the Bible. It's a pretty effective way of doing it. And it's all set out there for you. It's all written out. In fact, when you share the gospel with somebody, you really don't have to do a whole lot of talking. You let the Bible do the talking. You let the scriptures be the one to reveal that. And guess what, mom and dad? And I know this for a fact. Sometimes your children are going to be the most intimidating people you have to talk to. Because you got to live with them. And you know how they are. And, oh, I, I don't want for them to hate me. I want for them to love me. And uh, it's been a hard week, and I don't want to deal with them anymore. Remember, there's a promise. Children, honor your father and your mother. You know that that promise is out there. Don't you want them to have that? Don't you want for them to be in that instruction? And the final point that we have here, and this is directed towards parents once again and grandparents, we need to make sure we're walking close with God. Because guess what? You can say one thing, but if your lives and actions are doing a completely other thing, it's not going to work out. So it says here, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. This is James 1, through 25. Deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, be no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doings. Including training up your children in the instruction of the Lord. 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. How? By always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, including doing this with your children. And then finally, Psalms 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sitters, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. Guess what? Your children are looking to see what you're doing. Who are you hanging out with? What are you doing? What are you saying? But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields his fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all he does he prospers. When I read that, I want that for my kids too. I want that for my kids. I want for them to be totally dependent upon that living water, planted like a tree right next to it, producing fruit, so that they can pass it on to that next generation. That's what I want for my children. Call it selfish, but that is what I want. That is a desire I have in my heart. Now, to end this and bring this to a close, I, I don't want to leave you all uh, empty-handed with this. Um, in the next slide, I have a number of resources that if you're wanting to take that step, and again, resources, this is not a substitution. This is not a substitution for your daily walking with God, meditating in his word, growing in him day and night. But a couple of ministries, Answers in Genesis is a ministry that... Uh, for quite some years now, been following them. They do a lot of good work. Living Waters is another one. There's another ministry called Wretched as well. Uh, podcasts and different things that they do. The Daily Grace Company, I love this company. This is that company that I was alluding to where they have a lot of resources uh, targeted towards women for theology. And they have, they, they have men's resources too. All they do is they slap a manly cover on it and they give it to you. And so basically, it's great because I look at it as like, hey, this is what you would normally think you know, men in Bible college are learning to become pastors. They're giving it to women. That's great because guess what? Now we have women that can do the teaching too. Helps the guys out a little bit. 
I have another uh, resource here. It's called The Briefing. It's a podcast by an individual by the name of Albert Moeller. He's part of the Southern Baptist uh, Theological Seminary. Their denomination is going through a lot of turmoil. Pray for them, especially. Um, a really solid guy. It's a 25-minute podcast that he does almost every weekday. Really good resource. And then another one, Bible Discovery. Daniela is going to be real happy I put this one up on here. These individuals are out of Canada. They go through the Bible every single year um, through, and they've been doing it for the past 32 years. And it's not just the Bible they're going through. They're talking about history. They're talking about the authors. They're talking about the context. Awesome resources. But again, resources, not substitution. So in closing, we are amid a battle for the hearts of our families. God does not need us to be caretakers of the image bearers that he sends to earth. However, our master has chosen us to be caretakers of the children he has gifted us. God has commanded us to be good stewards of what we are given, and this includes our families. We've been commanded to teach our children sound doctrine and the ways of our Lord. We're to preach to them the gospel and to live lives that are examples of Christ-likeness to them. A failure to teach our children these truths is a sin and a result, and will result in generations that come after us that are lost and self-righteous. We cannot rely on our churches or schools to take the responsibility that God has given us as parents. Our focus should always be on the kingdom of God. What are your priorities, parents? Do you value career, finances, titles, and success over spiritual matters? What do you place value in? The treasures laid up in heaven or those that are laid here on the earth? I leave you with this question from Matthew 16, 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this opportunity that you've given me to be here, Lord, and to be able to share what you laid upon my heart. And God, I pray that you were ultimately glorified in this. And God, I want for you to understand, and I want for these individuals to understand too, that this message and the reason why it's here is because it was really directed towards me. And I'm just sharing what what I learned as I went through this, God. And I pray that if there have been any hearts here that have been convicted, Lord, myself included, Lord, that we will get right with you today, Lord. And from this moment on, begin to work on that training up of our children, of our grandchildren, Lord. And for those individuals who maybe don't have children yet, Lord, I pray that this is something that they think about, something that they will put to heart, Lord, and begin to work on so that when they do have those kids, they can train up those children. And I pray, Lord, that this church here, Bethania, will be known as a church that has godly generations coming out of it and not generations that are lost not knowing you. I thank you again for this opportunity that you've given me, Lord, and I pray for every one of these individuals that is here, for the different burdens that they may have, Lord, for the different things that they may be going through, Lord. I pray that they will find their strength in you, Lord, and that you'll be their strength, you'll be the power that will get them through whatever they may be going through. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.